If you don't know me, I'm Donovan, I'm married to Heidi. She's uh, gone off with the kids. Um, I don't often talk about my wife, but I don't know if you know that she's a pediatric physio and uh, she's amazing at what she does. And uh, she actually has two practices, one's uh, in Redham Primary. Uh, it's probably called Redham House or something. I should probably know that. But four mornings a week, she works out of the school two afternoons a week from our home. And uh, it's awesome to be married to such a competent person who loves what they do. I mean, a businesswoman, mom, wife, and trust me, being the wife to me is enough work for, for a full-time job and a physio. And so it's just so, so awesome for you to know a little bit more about her and what she does with her life in the week. It's, uh, it's great. And then before I get into this week, I want to tell you what's happening in two weeks' time because I am super excited. We're getting into the book of James 22 weeks. By the end of this year, we would have spent 22 weeks in the book of James. Now, not all in a row consecutively. We've broken it up into kind of sub-series. So we'll do maybe two and then take a break and hit another one and another one. But it is such an exciting book. The strapline is real faith for real life. I mean, James is a book where the rubber hits the road in such a diversity of circumstances that we find ourselves in even today. I mean, trials, setbacks, challenges, relationships, conflicts in the church, conflicts outside the church, prejudice, you know, conflict between the rich and the poor and how we to interact and how we to value people and, 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 and. The book of James goes on speaking to us about all these different circumstances and really what he's trying to do the whole time is he's trying to, he's trying to coach us into growing in our faith. So as all these circumstances come your way, as you navigate these complexities, this is how you remain faithful. This is how your faith matures and grows. I mean, for me, the key verse is James 1 verse 4. Let perseverance do its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I mean, that's the hope for us coming out of the book of James, that we've grown, that our maturity has, has come along in our faith. And it's, it's cool because it speaks about all these external realities that are outside of our control, like challenges, you know, you could lose your job, you could face some real conflicts that are out of your hand. And, and so how do we navigate that? But also, but also, how do we navigate our hearts and our minds as we, as we face trials and difficulties and we think about what that does to our, our inner selves? How, do, how does our faith mature in the midst of those things. So it's gonna be a fantastic ride. So it's in two weeks' time. Remember, Meg said next Sunday, we're doing community, hanging out, connecting, which is a huge part of what it means to be a family. So we'll see you there. And then after that, James. And we also, we're gonna be handing out like a little notebook with just the, like the heading and the text and some space for you to take some notes. Just wanna encourage you to engage like that. You can also take those with you to life group or whatever it is. So you know, you'll be able to remember what's happening on Sunday to Wednesday. It's a long time in nowadays. Okay, back to this week. We're in the final week of our This Is Us series. I feel like a stuck record, but I keep saying it has been so much fun doing this series. I really feel like God's done something in me preparing, and, and in us as a church. It feels like God's laid some foundations, like poured in some, some concrete into, into who we are, like a confidence into the biblical conviction of who we are and who God's forming us to be and how he wants to shape us and form us to be more and more uh, in line with, with what his desire is for us, that we're able to bring him more glory. So if you've missed any of the weeks, man, I encourage you to go check it out. 
life around here will make so much more sense, I think, if you've tracked these weeks with us. I mean, we've seen that we're God-dependent. We're gospel-defined people. We're a presence people, a people of God's presence. I mean, didn't we experience something of that this morning? Just being in God's presence together as a community. I mean, things happen. But, and, and Colin reminded us we're a commissioned people. And what's cool about this series is that all these things interlink and, and, and go so nicely together. There's so much overlap. It's, it's dynamic as God's building His church. And that's especially true of what I'm going to speak about this morning. Because the truth is all of these things have something in common. They play themselves out in the context of a community. And so this morning I'm speaking to us about being a committed people. A committed people. Now, again, reflecting on this series, I think it's been high challenge. I think if you've been coming every week, you've felt challenged. And that's because what we've been trying to do is, is hold up, you know, a biblical conviction. And then we've held up our current culture. And we've kind of tried to, tried to draw parallels and say, you know, this is what culture's telling us to be and do. This is what God's word's telling us to be and do. And, and when you do that, there's often, you know, um, a, a time of conviction, time of difficulty, a time of thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I'm more, you know, cultural, or maybe I'm actually, yeah, I am actually taking God's word seriously. Because the truth is, we live in a world that's forming us, that's impacting us, that's shaping us all the time, every day of the week. And as Christ followers, we need to be aware of, of what's happening in our hearts and our minds and continually come back to God's word and say, God, I want, I want to be shaped primarily by your truth. And so I think it's been good, this, this kind of high challenge. I hope it hasn't all been high challenge. I mean, there has been times that I've hoped that maybe I should have been a little bit more encouraging or uplifting. Um, and so, but hopefully you've also felt in this series not only the challenge, but also the invitation into the beauty and the wonder of just saying yes to God. Yes to God's plan and purposes for our lives as a, as a local church, because that's actually how we are created to thrive. We thrive when we say yes to God. And so today is going to be no different. I think it's going to be high challenge. But also there's an incredible invitation. And I think that invitation looks different maybe if you're not a Christ follower or maybe just starting to follow Jesus or following for a long time. I think you're going to hear an invitation into a much rich, richer, deeper, and more meaningful and secure life. And it's incredibly beautiful and wonderful. I think there's application for all of our life. I mean, you can, what I'm saying this morning, I think applies to many aspects of our lives. See, I'm coming at it this morning, speaking to us as a local church, but I, I want you to also think about your life at the same time. And maybe this week again, take some time to reflect what God could be saying to you as an invitation into, into this abundant life that he has for us. Right at the start, let me say thank you to John Tyson and Susie Silk. They wrote this book called Kingdom Values, and I, I borrowed a lot from their chapter on community through this talk. So big ups to you guys for, for doing that. So this morning, I want to I look at community kind of in, from the view of our modern world, and then I want to take a view at community through the biblical lens, and I want to look at a few texts out of 1 Peter. So it'll seem in our modern world with all the progress we've made, all the discoveries, all the advancements, they seem to have come at the expense of our relationships with each other. That somehow 
our culture, our modern time, is lacking the richness of community that's been experienced by previous generations. So here's a quote from David Jansen. He says, the 20th century, century, by the way, I took out America and replaced it with we and our and they, because you know, we can learn a lot from America and it's often true of our lives, but I thought it was more helpful. The 20th century will be remembered as an age of wondrous creativity when we voluntarily shattered our lives into distant and dissonant fragments. Our industries learned how to assemble atomic bombs, airplanes, iPads, and the genetic codes of life itself in the same era that our society disassembled the ancient overlap of family, food, faith, and field of work. They reached for the stars as they withered their roots, inhabited space, but lost any sense of place. Yikes. We live in a culture that esteems the individual. We live at a time where individual freedom and this belief in self-sufficiency is starting to really reign supreme. And with this move, we've seen a cultural shift away from committed communities towards preference communities. So we've seen this shift away from committed communities towards a more preference-based community. So what do I mean by that. I think from birth, people are being groomed and taught to believe that you can be anything and do anything that you want to be. We're taught that this unique passion or this unique uh, discovery of who you're meant to be is the absolute priority for your life. That to give expression to what is inside of you is ultimate freedom and is the ultimate purpose of your life. That's your highest good. And what this also means is that anything that stands in the way, threatens or restricts this expression of what you feel like is freedom for you, you, you just need to remove it. Anything that stands in the way, anything that's restrictive, it's actually seen as quite oppressive to you as an individual because your, your right to individual expression of what's inside of you is of ultimate importance in our culture today. It's underpinned by this belief in in self-sufficiency that that actually we have everything we need inside of ourselves to experience life to the full. It just needs to find its way out and you just need to be ruthless and treat as enemy anything that's a barrier, a restriction, or an expectation on you that undermines your ability to give expression to what's within. You get this right, you're gonna be fulfilled. You're gonna be happy. You're gonna experience life. Now, I think it's good for us to reflect. You know, if we're living in a world like this, it's good for us to ask, how is this impacting me as a Christ follower? I mean, how is this impacting my faith? How is this impacting the decisions I make? Is this impacting my faith or how I even read the scriptures? Because here's the conflict for us as Christ followers. Here's where culture and faith clash a little bit. The Bible teaches us ethics. The Bible teaches us how we should or shouldn't live in the light of creation and sin and eternity and new life found in Jesus. You know, being a Christ follower means you don't just do what you want to do. You don't just give expression to whatever it is that's inside of you. Now, the Bible gives us riverbanks for life. 
And that's probably why in culture, at best, Scripture is seen as a bit irrelevant. Like, actually, it's not that applicable to our lives. But at worst, it's actually seen as quite oppressive. Because actually, these riverbanks of, of how we ought to live and how we ought to give expression for our lives, they're actually restricting the expression our personal expression of who we are. And so actually, we need to cast that thing off. We need to get rid of the scriptures. And what can happen, though, is we find a blend. You know, we, we kind of start to pick and choose, and we say, hey, there's parts of the scriptures that I can really embrace, other parts of the scriptures that are actually, you know, coming against some of my personal freedoms and what I feel like will be good for me and what I really want to give myself to. And so those parts are kind of just put on the back burner. It's, it's an interesting thing, right? We love the wisdom that comes from the Scriptures. We love the sacrificial love. We love justice elements that come out of the Scriptures. But the sexual ethic, I mean, that's just bizarre, ludicrous. Can you restrict me like that? Or the idea of laying down individual freedoms or rights for God or for the well-being of others. I mean, it's, it's a big ask. It's a bit ludicrous for you to expect you know, me to sacrifice my freedoms for the well-being of other people. It's, it's becoming a little bit weird to ask people to do that because of the impact of culture on our lives and on our thinking. So what happens when we pick and choose from the Bible is that we start actually having a preference-based view of the Scriptures. We come to the Scriptures embracing our preferences, what we, what we want to hear, what we want to see. And what quickly happens, if, if that's our relationship with the Bible, it's not very long and that's our relationship with our community. We come into our community with a preference-based kind of approach and thinking. This idea of a commitment-based relationship with the local church starts to seem a bit you know, unreasonable. This idea that you ought to be committed to a local church. <laughs> you know, if the waves are good and I feel like I want to go for a surf, why, why can't I? What's wrong with that? If the weather's right for a morning hike, why can't I just go for a hike up the mountain? If I've had a hectic week and I feel like I want to sleep in, why not? Could even be something like, oh, that preacher again, Ugh, missing that one. Or, oh, that topic or that series, I'm not interested in that. I'm, I've got that sorted. I'm going to... Now, this, I think we might be in a weird moment because actually these all sound reasonable to us nowadays. Like, yeah, what is wrong with me wanting to go for a surf? You know, this is important to me. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've been through this week. You don't know what pressures I'm facing. Like, this is the very thing that I, I need for my life. And so we find this conflict with the way that culture is forming and shaping us and causing us to think with the truth of the Scriptures that actually call us to a bit of a different life. And, and we've got a decision to make in how we're going to respond. I mean, this idea of, of putting our desires and our needs before being committed to the life of the though it sounds bizarre in our culture, it's what the Bible calls us to. Here's something worth reflecting on when you think about culture. Think about this. With all our unmatched freedoms to be who we want and do what we want and when we want to do it, I think culture is making the painful discovery that actually we're losing a sense of meaning as people. We're losing a sense of foundation as a culture. I think people are more lonely, more anxious, more depressed, more empty, more lost than ever before. Let me change track for a second. I've been speaking about culture. 
What makes us as Christ followers, even here in Constantinburg, different? What's our vision of community? Well, two weeks ago, I spoke about the fact that, that the most common phrase in the scriptures is this idea that from God that, that they will be my people and I will be their God. I mean, this is God's heart for humanity. His, his, what he's been doing since the beginning of time right there in the Garden of Eden is his desire has been to gather a people toward himself, that they would be his people and he would be their God. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter. In verse 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful lights. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is a compelling and beautiful vision for community. Once you were not a people, I mean, what do we have in common across all of us here? We are not a people, but now, through faith in Christ, we are the people of God. You see how plural everything is? It's like people, not persons. It's nation, not individuals. It's priesthood, not priests. And then you look at where everything's heading. You go all the way to Revelation. I mean, where is God taking this whole story? What is his purposes. Revelation 21.3, it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling place of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I mean, following Jesus is all about becoming part of a community. It's all becoming part of the people of God where we're his people and he is our God. So Peter goes on to describe what this community looks like. 1 Peter 4. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gifts uh, he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I mean, what a rich description of community. Loving each other. Offering hospitality to each other. Opening our homes to people when they're going through difficult times, when they're stressed out, when they need someone to be around, they're at our table, making space for them and they're making space for us serving one another with the gifts that we've received and everything for the glory of God. I mean, this richness and depth of community is for God's glory. And the big idea running through these texts in Peter is this. As Christ followers, we are a people committed to living as God's people. To be a Christ follower is to be committed to community. It's impossible to follow Jesus Christ outside of community. He created us. He knows us. He's designed us to live and thrive a certain way, and it's within community. So think about what we've read in 1 Peter 2, especially that first text. Jesus is saying, I've invited you to be a unified people. I've invited you to become a new people, not defined or no longer separated by external things like wealth, ethnicity, age, or status, or station in life. He said, that stuff doesn't matter to me in my, in my kingdom, in my new community. 
But he's also saying, actually, the things that separate you, like personal preferences, also not a thing in this community. That actually you're called to be my people. That those things don't really matter as much as this call to come together. We're not just new people, we're a new people. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. I mean, read the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts, even stories of the, of, uh, the early church. You'll find that, that there's like this gravitational pull towards being together in the Bible. It's like they're always being together, gathering together, praying together, you know, studying God's word together. And if they get into trouble, they quickly run back to the believers. It's like they're, they're just constantly going back to, to community. But it feels like nowadays in our culture that we're living in now, the gravitational pull is more towards individuality. Or maybe at best, you know, towards the nuclear family, like our little family. We're, we're kind of being pulled apart instead of being pulled together, like you see when the church first launched. This is the impact of culture on our lives. I know what I'm saying can, you know, it, it's, it's challenging. <laughs> when we think about how culture is impacting us and we think about, you know, God's truth, we, we can find ourselves, you know, at a real crossroads. But I just want to say stick with me and keep dialing in because I think this is hugely important for our lives. I think God is inviting us into something so beautiful and so precious, and I don't want you to miss it. So, so stick with me. As I, want, I want to look at these two communities a little bit more closely. Communities built on preference and communities built on commitments. So A.J. Swoboda, I've got a, quite a few quotes in this message. I think it's good when we look at culture. Got to lean on other people. He writes a book, The Subversive Sabbath, and he's summarizing the thoughts of, of Zygmunt Bauman, and he writes this. I've replaced... Uh, his language, uh, he uses the word peg, but what he's speaking about there is preference. You know? When he uses the word peg, he thinks like you're, looking, you're a round peg, you're looking for a round hole, and so you, you're sticking with your preferences. So he says, preference communities, Bauman writes, are communities forged by disconnected spectators around a mutually loved experience like a rock concert or a sporting match. Their participation is a feeling or a sense around something shared. Commitment communities, in stark contrast, are long-term commitments that are marked by the giving up of rights and service. In short, commitment communities are built on relationships of responsibilities. These are relationships formed by commitment, love, covenant, and even familial fidelity. One of the fundamental shifts in our social matrix is that our relationships are increasingly made up of preference communities rather than commitment communities. He's saying that it's happening all over culture that our communities are built around common interests and fueled by shared experiences in contrast to these, these long, committed communities. And so what's the impact on our lives? What's the impact of current culture on our lives? I want to mention four things. I think they're very significant. You might recognize these. The first one is Instability. I think our culture is facing radical instability. Preference means that I'm involved in something and I'm committed to you or to a community based on my preferences, based on what I feel like is good for me. If that community or that friend or that group of friends doesn't meet my needs, I'm out. But actually, 
it's even more than that. It's if, if my preferences change at some point, then any promise I've made or any commitment I've made is also subject to change. Because actually what I think is important for me has shifted over the last few months, and so you cannot expect me to commit to that thing anymore. I've changed. And that's instability. The ground is shifting. People are transient. Who are you depending on? Who do you know is going to be there for you consistently? Then there's loneliness. Loneliness. When we're unwilling to be tied down and really forge some deeper relationships, not just through experiences like a rock concert, but actually maybe through the difficulty of working through tough uh, you know, confrontation or differences of thoughts or differences of opinions or sharing in real life triumphs or real life struggles. If we're not willing to commit like that, we don't experience depth of relationship. Depth of relationship can only come through time, can only come through being there for others or them being there for you when it's not actually for their benefits. It's actually for your benefits. You know, we both give and receive this kind of benefits. Then there's loss of freedom. It's so ironic, because this whole idea of you know, in individualistic expression, giving expression to your, your individual needs, is, it, it's, it's driven by this idea of individual freedom, but actually it's, it's stealing our freedom. What's actually happening is that, is that people are being increasingly controlled by their current whim, by their current idea of what's important to them, by their current ideas and momentary thoughts. Whatever we think right now is most important to us, whatever we think right now, that's what we're basing our life on. And actually what happens is we become like a boat caught in a storm, a storm of new ideas, a storm of differing thoughts, a storm of who we should be and what we should be and what it means to live life to the full and we're living in that storm and we're being shaped in all different ways and we've got no anchor. There's nothing anchoring us. And so we find ourselves just lost. It, it's not freedom at all. It's actually a very crazy bondage to the world around us, to media, to marketing, to current culture. And then fourthly, there's this lack of identity. Now I think if you add these things up, this instability in the world, and then there's this loneliness, this loss of freedom where you're kind of starting to get over-invested in, in ideas and who you ought to be and who you think you should be and what people are telling you should be. What happens is there's a deep insecurity that starts to creep into our lives. And we don't actually know who we are. We don't actually know who we're supposed to be. And I don't actually know who the people around me really are because things are changing and they don't really know who I am because I'm constantly changing. I'm not just speaking about growing up. I'm speaking about this, this impact of needing to give expression to whatever we think is important to us right now. You know, you've got no fixed points in life. Things are fluid. Things are changing. Things are up for grabs. You never know where you stand. And the truth is we're just simply not made to live like this. People are simply not made to live like this. Okay, let me answer another question. How does being the committed people of God make us different? So how does being the committed people of God make us different and help us to, to deal with these dreadful outcomes? I want to read a quote from Lewis Smead. It's a longish quote. I'm going to divide it into three parts. And it's so helpful. He writes an article. It's called Controlling the Unpredictable, the power of promising. It says this, 
When you make a promise, you tie yourselves to other persons by unseen fibers of loyalty. You agree to stick with people you're stuck with. When everything else tells them that they can count on nothing, they can count on you. When they do not have the faintest notion of what in the world is going on around them, they will know that you are going to be there with them. You have created a small sanctuary of trust within the jungle of unpredictability. You've made a promise that you intend to keep. Saying that when we commit ourselves, when we promise, we're creating stability in a world of instability and constant change. Think of my own life story before I went into ministry. I was at Connect Church and I worked in a bank, Absa Bank, for years and years. It was great. I, in the beginning, I studied and paid off my studies as I went and I was working on Saturdays. There was a time in my life I, I, I used to wake up every morning in tears. I just could not stand the work I was doing. I, I just knew this wasn't what I was supposed to be doing with my life and I, was, and I became a terrible person to be around. I mean, I was depressed. I was angry. I was moody. I mean, I I had this, these friends that were committed to me as a person. I had friends that would, would still hang out with me, that would still listen to me moan about the same thing over and over again, that would gently walk with me. I can tell you now, if I didn't have those friends who were committed to me, not for their own benefits, for my benefits, I do not know where I would be today. I don't think I'd be here. I am so grateful to God for friends that committed to me for my sake, not their own. They were willing to give up some of their own joys and their own pleasures and their own fun evenings to sit with me. Man, we all need that. He goes on in this quote. Whenever a mere human makes a promise, he stakes a claim on freedom. So here's a new take on freedom. A promise is a, moment, is a momentous claim that the person who makes it has the power to act freely to bring order and dependability into the unpredictable future. We take it on ourselves to create a future with someone else, no matter what fate or destiny may have in store. And that is ultimate freedom. The paradox of promising is that we freely bind ourselves to keep the promise we made. We limit our freedom so that we can be free to be there when someone, when, to be with someone in his future's unpredictable storms. The person who makes a vow, said Chesterton, makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. I mean, this is a far truer, more compelling version of freedom than what culture is feeding us at the moment. That actually true freedom is saying, I'm limiting myself for your benefit. I'm limiting myself so that I can be there for you in your greatest time of need. I'm limiting my freedom so that you can depend on me. I'm limiting my freedom so that you can know who I am. I mean, that is freedom. That is the life God wants for us. Finally, the quote concludes. We know someone is the same person today that he or she was yesterday by the promises that person made yesterday and keeps today. What I promise is what I am and will be to my people, the ones who belong to me, who depend on me. Promise-making is the social bond that tells us who we are in our life together. In committing to Christ, and committing to each other, we gain strengthening in our identity, in our meaning, in our security in this world. I know that I can depend on my friend. I know he's not just going to change on a whim. 
I know that he knows who I am. He knows that I'm going to be there for him. And as we see that happening more and more, as we commit to each other, not because of our own preferences, but because of the gift of giving and the gift of serving and the gift of mutual flourishing, we find each other and we find ourselves on a firm foundation. So Christ calls us to be different from our current culture. And when we're different, we find stability. We find intimacy. We find true freedom, meaning, and identity. That's the invitation. I hope you're tracking with me. I mean, I hope you're nodding and you think, yeah, that generally sounds good. Sounds like something I could want. But the question is, if it sounds good, why is it so hard? Now, why is it so difficult for us? And I think partly because we live with deep-seated fear of commitments. I think a lot of, a lot of us live with this. And I don't think it's always about preferences. I think sometimes it's because of pain and hurt. You know, either we've seen people really hurt through commitment, through relationships, through communities, or we ourselves have experienced this deep hurt, and so what happens is we withdraw. We don't want to commit. We, we're afraid that, you know, I don't want to experience that kind of hurt, or I don't want to go through this again, and so we start to withdraw. It can be bigger things that are undermining our thinking. You might not even realize it, but something like the state of a nation, a police force, politics, corruption, you start to think, you know, can we really entrust our lives to institutions, you know? And that starts to flow into the church. Like, can we really trust the church? Can we trust these people? Like, what's up with leadership in general anyway? Our, our confidence in community can start to erode through what's happening around us. More directly, you could be impacted through personal experience. Maybe, maybe you know, you've experienced divorce. Maybe personally or your parents or a broken marriage. I mean, these things affect us deeply, affect the people around us. When we see people breaking promises, it, it leaves us jaded. It leaves us not really trusting, not really wanting to put ourselves in that situation again. So we start to protect ourselves. We start to push people away. We, we avoid any kind of entanglement or promise-making. Or You see it in, in marriage. You know, less and less people are getting married in our culture. So many marriages end in divorce that people are not that interested anymore. And so what do you see? You rather see the upswing of living together or serial dating or just hookup culture. And what is it? it? Actually, it's shallow. It's lonely. It's unstable. And it simply just perpetuates the cycle of fear that we're living in. And all of these things are shaping us. They're forming us. They're impacting our faith. They're impacting our followership. They're impacting our relationship with other Christ followers. And we're increasingly becoming curved in on ourselves. And maybe we don't even realize it because it's so normal nowadays. It's so normal nowadays to put ourselves first. And I think this is why the stakes are so high. This is why the stakes are so high, because Colin reminded us last week that we're ambassadors of Christ, that we're to go out and to see God's kingdom come, that we're salt and light, that we're proclaiming the good news of Jesus. We're a commissioned people. Well, I don't think we can expect to impact this Constantinople Valley at least for the glory of God if we're unable to commit to each other as the people of God. Actually, our commitment to each other as the people of God is, is vitally connected to our impact into the world. 
What about our own spirituality, our own formation as Christ followers? It's impossible for us to come to maturity as Christ followers outside of vital connection to a spiritual community like this one. Why? Because so much of following Jesus is about loving one another, standing with one another, praying for one another, carrying each other's burdens. I mean, so much of following Jesus is community. So let me, let me wrap up with these four things, and I'll be very brief through them. How do we get this right as Christ followers, as Constantinburg? What do we do to, to see this meaningful, committed community developing? Well, four things. Priority, practices, proximity, and permanence. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Priority. The call to follow Jesus is a call to prioritize in our lives God's kingdom. To follow Jesus is to say, God, I'm going to seek your kingdom first more than I'm going to seek my own personal preferences. Following Jesus is about prioritizing God's agenda for this world and God's agenda for our lives more than our own agenda for this world and our own agenda for our lives. And until we're ready to commit to that, until we're ready to say yes to that, we're going to really struggle to commit. And it's not going to go well for us. As Christ followers born into the... we, We need to learn to push through our fears. We need to learn to push through our preferences into community, into committing to community into creating this beautiful space of called out ones, those that have been called out of the world and made into a new community, a heavenly community that will impact this world. We must learn to love again, trust again, commit again. Okay, practices. This actually means we've got to commit ourselves to some rhythms. You know, like meeting together like this on a Sunday morning, coming along on Wednesday night to the worship gathering, praying together, studying scripture together, sharing meals together, confessing together, being generous toward each other as class touched on this morning. You know, there's 49 one another's in the New Testament. This is how you ought to live together. You to care for one another, pray for one another. Unless we actually start to do these things, we're never going to become this committed community of Christ followers. And then there's proximity. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. This is beautiful. It says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. We need to take these words of Paul to heart. Not only share the gospel each other, but be prepared to actually share our lives with each other. And I'm not saying we can share our lives with everyone in a local church like this equally. You know, there's friendships, there's communities, there's life groups, there's smaller connections within. And we need to learn to give our lives to each other. I mean, this is us. This is what God's doing. We're sharing our lives with each other. And we need to keep growing in that. And yeah, there is also a commitment as a bigger local church for us to give ourselves to each other. We're not with each other, and if we're not spending time with each other, and we're not journeying together, and we're not working through stuff together, we're not going to be that community. And then finally, permanence. We are a covenantal community. The essence of being a committed community is, is a commitment to love through ups, through downs, through left turns, right turns, curveballs, whatever life throws at us. 
to commit. And it's not on the basis of our personal preference. It's on the basis of how Christ loved us. I'm going to close with this text, John 13. You can come up, uh, Claude's in the band. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, this committed community is what makes us unique. It is what makes us salt and light. It is directly related to our impact into this world. And without this kind of committed community, that's totally contrary to the kind of community that culture's urging us to give ourselves to. Our witness is shallow and uncompelling and easy to disregard. But in a culture like the culture we're living in today, when we're a committed community, people are going to want to hear what we've got to say. They're going to want to see our lives. They're going to meet our Savior. Loving like Jesus is otherworldly. And it's going to make all the difference. It's others first. Let me pray for us. Why don't you stand and we're going to sing a closing song. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And we thank you that when these two things come together, you transform us. I'm trusting this morning that... But Father, you've spoken in different ways to different people and I just want to ask you to just establish us in your truth. Cause us to say yes to you. Cause us to be more shaped by your word than the world around us so that we can live for your glory. We can experience life to the full as you want for us. Let's sing our song together.